Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, where today what we're going to do is we're simply going to finish up uh, not only the chapter, uh, but really we're going to finish up the entire series uh, that we've been in for the last few months, uh, a series we entitled uh, People in the Now Longing for the Future. And so, uh, man, I'm excited that today we'll close this out and then uh, we're going to spend four weeks uh, going back into something that we've done before a long, 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 long time ago. In 2016, we went through a series called The Four Gs, uh, where we looked at, uh, man, the reality that God is great, God is good, God is gracious, and God is glorious. And so each week, uh, we're going to take a different, uh, a different one of those Gs, and we're going to really look at what does it mean for our lives that God is great, that He is good, that He is glorious, and that He is gracious. And then after that, we're going to, man, we're going to jump into the book of Acts. Uh, and so I'm excited to just kind of story through, uh, man, what, uh, yeah, this, this picture of the early church. And so, um, that's where we're headed. Uh, but man, as we, uh, man, look at our, our scripture for today, I quickly, uh, I just want to recap. From, from the time we had last week where Zach Tharp came in and preached. And if you uh, weren't here last Sunday for whatever reason, uh, man, I encourage you to go back and listen to his sermon. He did a phenomenal job looking at the first five verses of Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, and man, as he preached and as uh, I got to spend some time with him Sunday and, and time with him Monday, man, I, it just made me more and more grateful that we're a part of a network that's filled with humble guys that really, man, they just want to love uh, Jesus. They want to love people and plant churches. And so... So y'all continue to pray for Zach as they gear up to plant in Brownwood, Texas. Uh, But man, Zach started his sermon last Sunday with a question, right? We had a lot of fun with that question. Uh, The question was this, what is something you know you should do more often, but don't do, right? And there's probably a litany of things that each of us could write down, but he he laid out a few, right? Like we should work out, we should dust, we should... um, uh, what were the, learn to fold like our fitted sheets because we know we should do it, but everyone just wads it up. You know, I was offended because he said, when was the last time you ironed? And I was like, every Saturday night I ironed. Uh, and so, but one of them, and I just want to take a moment because, uh, I mean, as a church, we do a lot of things well. And one of the things that we do well is, I mean, being community, right? And so we want to be honest with one another. And, and so uh, as a community, uh, I just want to say this, because, uh, and this is, there's no judgment here. This is a safe place. But it was concerned. we got to learn to delete emails, okay? Like, and I'm not just pointing out like the 300,000, that's one thing. But I heard some other numbers. Like, as of this morning when I came here, I had zero in all of my inbox, zero, right? Like, and so like to me, and it just makes me anxious. So, uh, mass delete, I think you can bulk delete on Gmail. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, you can take it for what it is worth because really the true reality of what Zach was getting at was the example that Paul gives in the text, right? That we know as God's people. And Paul does this. He asks for prayer. And we know, like, uh, because we, maybe we ask in a generalized way, or maybe we tell people, hey, I'm gonna pray for you. But when it comes to prayer, we know we should ask. But even as God's people, we struggle to ask. And Zach laid out a variety of reasons why. But you see, the very act of not asking, it's that very act that is detrimental to our lives as followers of Jesus, but also I believe it's detrimental to the church. 
And so as God's people, we saw last week, we have to lay down our pride, our shame, our fear of man, and the lies that we tend to believe that our lives, our needs, and our prayers are unimportant compared to others. And and so we lay those things down, and then we simply need to learn to ask for prayer. And we saw the root behind all this, the root behind our ability to even do that in verse 5, is that if, man, as we uh, continue to understand the reality of what God's done for us, we learn to allow the Lord to direct our hearts. You see, to allow the Lord to direct your heart is to understand your daily need for grace, to understand your security that's only found in Jesus, to understand your identity, that that, that who you are is not based on what you do, but what Jesus has done for you, and that God deeply cares for you. So we allow the Lord to direct our hearts and we learn to understand and grow in and live from the steadfast love of Christ. And so let's look now at how Paul begins to close out this letter. So he, he, he spends some time asking for prayer for himself that he might continue to proclaim the good news. The doors would open for that. But what he does here at the end of the letter is he looks at a third area of concern That he's going to write about here. And so let's read verses 6 through 12. It says this. This is Paul writing. Now we command you brothers. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. And not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right. But to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not, as, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Okay, so if you remember from week one in this second letter, and we even saw some of it in the first letter, uh, we, we've known that the, this second letter, Paul's focus in writing was to combat three main issues or problems facing the church in Thessalonica. So we saw he kicked off with the problem of persecution, right? So between the first and second letter, persecution had gotten even worse for these people. And so Paul writes to them and encouraged them to continue on, to stand firm in the face of it. The second problem we saw was the problem of theology, right? There's a group of people that, that have begun to speak and, and proclaim, uh, man, this, this uh, false doctrine about Christ's return. And they've even circulated a letter that they said was from Paul. But Paul responds and says, hey, remember what we taught you when we were with you. What they're saying is wrong. Don't believe it. We've already told you the truth about Jesus' return. Which leads us to the end of the letter where we find the third problem that Paul addresses. And this third problem is really, it's more pastoral in nature because what we find beginning in verse 6 is Paul, he's addressing the laziness or idleness that has taken root in this church. Now again, this is not a new issue. If you remember from 1 Thessalonians, in the first letter, Paul called those in the church, not just the leaders in the church. In in chapter 5, he says, brothers, admonish the idol. Really what he's saying is like, hey, uh, if there's those in the church that aren't working, you need to admonish them, to correct them, to warn them. 
And really, he does that for two main reasons. You see, what's happened and what we've seen is that some, those who believe the false teaching regarding Christ's return, either that it was imminent, like in the next couple of days, or that it had already happened, they had decided that work is no longer to be their concern. That they were walking around saying, well, hey, because this has happened or it's about to happen, who cares? We don't have to work anymore. And maybe, maybe we will work one day, but hey, if that can wait. Right now we be, need to be concerned and focused on Jesus' return. They'll get to it when and if they get to it. You see, what this is as it's, at its root, it's really for them, aside from being laziness, man, I believe it's pres- procrastination at work. And so how, like, when we think about this picture, how, how many of you in the room, like, you, you just honestly, like, and I'm going to be one of those, man, you, like, you're, you kind of enjoy some procrastination. No? Okay, just a few of us, right? Like, <laughs> some of you are like, mm, yeah. No, like, like I, like, there's something about, like, just the rush that I get from waiting, 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 and then, man, just trying to knock it all out at one time, right? It's a mix between, like, fear, anxiety, and this is a challenge, right? And so, man, I, like, that's a tendency of mine is to, man, I'll just procrastinate. Like, I love the thrill of it, but also I hate it in the moment. I can't tell you, maybe you've done this before, like you procrastinated far too long and then you have to rush and get it done and you get it taken care of and you breathe and you say, oh, that was fun, but I hated it. I'm never going to do it again. And then you do it again, right? There's some of you in the room, you're like, that's never been me and those people frustrate me more than any other person on the face of the earth. It's okay. God has grace. I remember growing up, like, you know, in the, in the summer, my mom, I would, she would leave me a, a list of chores to do, right? And so I would wake up, I would eat breakfast, I would see the list, and she would say, they need to be done before I get home. And so what I would do is I, after I ate breakfast, I'd go jump on the trampoline, I'd run around town for a little while because I lived in a small town. I'd get home. I'd watch The Price is Right. I'd watch Ricky Lake. I'd watch Mari Povich, right? And I would hope it would be the one where they send the kids to jail and like that. And then like, but I would just buy my time all day. Like I would get through lunch and then I I knew kind of around when my mom was going to get home. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, I've got to get 17 things done before she gets here. And then I would just go and sometimes I'd get caught. Like I'd only done half of it. But like, that's what I would do. Like I, 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 cause I knew, and the problem was, is that I, I'd mess the house up even more than how it started. So it was like three times the work, but something in me was just like, it's okay. I can procrastinate. This is what this church is doing. They're saying, Hey, work doesn't really matter right now. We can get to it later. You see, the other side of this is that this culture, like Greco Roman culture, uh, man, they held the disdain for labor. It was kind of just part of the culture. No one really wanted to work. They, they, you know, they, 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 they said, man, manual labor, it's below us. Let's abstain from it. Man, even like the mental labor, like they were like, we don't want any of it. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. As I thought of an example for this one, um, it kind of ran in the same vein of like chores and, and things that like growing up. Did anyone ever have to like, I didn't have siblings, but like if you had siblings and you would get that list. And as soon as you got the list, there was someone in your family that always got a stomach ache. Like immediately. And they're like, I got to go to the bathroom. Like it, it, like every time, like when I would do, usually I just had to do solo work because it was just me. But in group work, there'd always be one person and they'd be like, oh, my stomach really hurts. I got to go. 
And they would go in the bathroom for like 30 minutes and then they would come out and I would be like, well, I did all the easy stuff. Here's the hard stuff. I did my half. Go for it, right? Like it would drive me crazy. But this is what's going on here. Everyone, they're looking around and they're saying, hey, I mean, I don't want to work. I've got better things to do. And if it comes up, man, I'm just going to avoid it. I'm going to seek to escape it. And so Paul, in his concern for the church and even frustration with the response to things, he once again dives into how they're responding. He, he, he opens and exposes their posture towards work. And what he does, he says, actually, this is how we are to work in light of the gospel and what we face today. And the response, as we're going to see, is a call to not only work, but work hard for the glory of God. And so let's look at how he responds. Beginning in verse 6, he writes, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now quickly, two things I want to say here. First, Paul addresses this concern with an authoritative command that bears the weight of Christ as Lord. So what Paul is doing, he's saying, Hey, look, I mean, I have an authority, but it's not my authority. The reason I can command you to do this is because of Jesus' authority. I mean, this is how, this is, this is a command of the Lord. But the second thing we see is that this command is for the entire church. You see, while the focus of the, the other concerns are really primarily due to the actions of others outside the church, whether it was persecution or false teaching, this concern is focused upon those within the church itself. This then leads to the content of the command, which is that we as the church, and Paul says, keep away from any brother, and I believe that word brother is key, who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. And that's some strong language from Paul right there. You see, what Paul says is that those in the body of Christ should keep away from lazy and idle people in the church. And so what I want to do is I want to first look at the why behind Paul's concern, and then we're going to dive in to what he means by keep away from. And so why does Paul have such a great concern against idleness? Well, I think ultimately it's because Paul understands the gospel. He understands what Jesus has done for him, and he understands that there's a response that's attached to that. You see, we are called as God's people to a standard. And Jesus is the standard bearer we could not be. And therefore we are called to what he calls us to. And so what Paul is pushing here is the standard that comes in light of the work of the gospel in our hearts, which produces two things. It produces new life and new living. You see, because of our new life in Christ, we live or we should live differently. We live with purpose. We live life actually free. We live in a manner, Ephesians 4.1 says, that is worthy of the call of Christ. You see, this is what Paul is getting at. This is why Paul, man, is so concerned with idleness. Because he says, no, it has no place. And he could even go back all the way to the garden where we see this picture that, man, it wasn't work that was the problem of the fall. No, it was always there. He says, man, cultivate the ground. Like, man, be fruitful, multiply. It was the toil that came with it at the fall that was the issue. And so Paul looks at this. He says, no, 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 our work doesn't change. We're called to a standard 
Uh, An author, Richard Phillips, to this point, he says that as Paul sees it, Christianity is not something that takes up just a corner of our lives, but instead involves the whole manner by which we live. It is a lifestyle that says yes to some things and no to other things because of the truth that we believe and that governs our walk. You see, this is why Paul is so adamant that we keep away from the idol. And so what does it mean for us to keep away from the idol? Well, I think what it doesn't mean is we don't shun them. Rather, I believe what Paul's getting at here is, man, to keep away is to, one, call out in grace and love, man, that they're walking uh, in sin. But I think it goes further because Paul is, what he's, he's getting at, he's saying, hey, man, you have idle people within the church and their concern is not to worth, their concern is on all these things they shouldn't be concerned with. He says, no, what you need to do is make sure you don't get sucked into it. Make sure you don't get distracted by it. Ultimately, don't even stand for it. You see, the thing about idleness is idleness, when you look at it on the surface, looks really good. But guess what? Idleness doesn't produce what it promises. Actually, it leads, it leads to sin. Another reason we know it's not to shun them is because Paul uses the term brothers, Right? He begins with brothers and he goes on later in the text. He talks about, man, if you see a brother, don't, don't cast them off as an enemy, but lovingly go tell them. Lovingly correct them. These are fellow believers who are being lazy and idle. And so what does Paul mean by lazy and idle? Well, we saw it in the first letter. Idleness is an unwillingness to work hard. This idleness has led many in the church to become, as Paul describes, he says, man, they're not busy, they're busy bodies. They aren't minding their own business. They distract others through conversation or by leading them to focus on other things that keep others from work. What Paul says, he says, hey, don't associate with them. Love them. Hold them accountable, but don't participate. And then Paul says, he says, if you want to combat idleness, you do it in two ways. By imitating the tradition that we received. And we see this imitation in two ways. First, that that word for tradition there is teaching. He says, man, remember what you've been taught, follow it. What has been passed down to you regarding how work is an act of worship in response to the finished work of the gospel. Right, Like we, man, as God's people, like if you're a follower of Jesus, redeemed by the blood, man, Jesus has already done the work. And so we are at rest, but being at rest, man, we are then freed up to work hard. Not for man, but guess what, man, for the Lord. But the second thing about this tradition is, and Paul expounds on it in this part of the text, is, man, it's a tradition that, man, was led by example. The example of Paul and others came with him. Paul says, we worked hard as they established the church he said the reason they did that, he said, that, man, we didn't eat bread unless we paid for it. We, we worked day and night so that they wouldn't be a burden to this young church. He says in light of that, in light of the way we worked, man, that's something to be imitated. Center Church, our work ethic should be worth imitating. And so when you think about your life today, is the way that you work worth imitating because of the way it glorifies Jesus? how you work, the manner by which you work, the way that you work. Because it's not just, hey, I faithfully show up. 
It's, man, I work hard. But also, like, man, if you're in a, a, a management position, are you an encourager? Are you, uh, do you seek to build up, to equip, to grow those around you so that they might flourish? Man, if you're not in, if you're in just a, a regular, man, everyday spot where you just go to work and someone is over you, are you working in a way that shows them honor, which ultimately shows God honor? And again, so we don't forget how serious this is. Paul, in verse 10, he says, man, he goes so far. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And that, that's, a, like, that's a harsh reality. If they're not willing to work, don't let them eat. And so what is Paul getting at here? Well, I think first, Paul is noting the difference between being willing and being unable. You see, these people are able to work, but they're unwilling to. Therefore, they need to be called to accountability and encouraged to do their work quietly. That word for quietly there is that they would be focused in their work and not distracting others. And that they would earn their own living so that they don't burden others who are working. And so today for us, how are we to respond? Well, first, I think, man, we're like, we need to be a people that work hard. That we would focus, that we would not be easily distracted, that we would turn from the distractions, be it those set before us or others, that we would keep away from idleness, that we would hold one another accountable, and that we would encourage one another to work hard. And one thing I would encourage you to do is, man, as you're around people, as you see them, and I know we're not all connected in the workplace, but man, as you see them work, man, encourage the, the hard work you see in them, but also celebrate, man, the fruit of, of hard work that takes place in their lives, right? Man, as God's people, like one of the things we should do is like we should, man, celebrate when we hear people get, they get a promotion, when, when they, when something happens, you know, and they, they tell you, yeah, I, I was able to get a raise or this, this, like we should celebrate those things. And part of that is like letting people know, not in a way to like brag, but man, like I'm excited about this, right? Like this is what God has done. So may we celebrate it. And so let's look at this. Last few verses of what Paul says regarding work and how he closes out the letter here. He says this, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. All right, so Paul closes this letter with a call to the church and us today in the face of persecution, the temptation to turn to false teaching and idleness. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. To do good according to the context that Paul is writing here is to be a follower of Jesus that seeks work, sees work both as an act of worship and as an avenue by which we display the fruit of the finished work of the gospel in our lives. You see, as God's people, we should see work as a means by which we proclaim the gospel. Therefore, may the idol be warned, Paul says, and called to repentance. Don't, don't shun them. 
Don't, don't uh, see them as an enemy. Warn them. Say, no, this is, there's something much bigger than your work, than what you're doing. What you, like, no, the way you work matters. And so I, I think we can see this. And I think for us, and again, um, because I know many of you, like I'm not concerned primarily with the way people work here. We all might have little ways we procrastinate or overwork or whatever, but I know that, man, you know, culture is becoming more and more of a culture where people don't want to work. And so I think like when we hear passages like this, I think at times in pride or at times in just like, man, like I don't really deal with that reality that Paul's talking about here. What I want to do is I want to press a little deeper. You see, because Paul's writing to a a context that, man, as a culture, they didn't want to work. They shunned it. They thought little of it. And so I want to expound just for a moment on Paul's call to work here because I think we can look at it. And and I think the temptation could be is that we see it only as the physical and mental labor of having a job that pays us for our labor, right? And in this case, it is just that. Because again, the focus that Paul is writing about is that's what that church is facing. And so we can look at text and we can discount this because by and large, like we, we look at our lives, we look at one another's lives and say, well, we're not dealing with that. But you see, my concern when it comes to this call to work is whether or not, as the church today, we've swung the pendulum to the opposite direction when it comes to work. And I have this concern in two ways. The first way is this, is that, man, for many in the church that follow Jesus, man, they live a life where they are overworked and underrested. And this is what I mean by this. For some in the local church, and maybe for some of us today, work is not an act of worship, but work has become what you worship. And I don't want to show up here, but like if you, I just want you to think for a moment. How many of you, you have, uh, you, you find rest to be difficult? Like rest is difficult for you. You know you're supposed to rest. Like you see it throughout Scripture, but rest is difficult. Let, let me take it a little farther. How, how many of you feel guilty if you don't have something to work on or something on your calendar to fill your day off? Now, now, I want to say there's a difference between restful work and guilt-driven work. What I mean by that is this, is it can be your day off. And for some of you, I know for me, one thing I like to do is like, it gives me rest is, man, I just, let me mow the grass. Like that gives me rest. Like I enjoy it because I can see I start and I get, uh, there's a finished product. And I love that. And so I say there, there is a difference. So I don't mean like you've got just some things that you enjoy doing, whatever hobby is. What I'm saying is like you have trouble with rest, but also you feel very guilty if you don't have something to work on or something on your calendar to fill your day with. You see, restful work allows you to go do things on your day off. Because you know, man, you're, you're, you're at rest. Like you're, cre- you're, you're, you're being creative. You're enjoying things. Man, on the other side of that, man, what guilt does is guilt, even on your day off, even in those moments where you know, man, I, I don't think I need to be doing, man, all you, you're just looking and saying, hey, I need to produce something. And if I don't produce something, I'm, 
I'm not valuable to God and maybe people don't see me as valuable. You see, I think we often label rest as idleness. And they're not the same according to the scripture. One enslaves and destroys while the other brings freedom and bears fruit. And so I think that's one concern that I have when we talk about just kind of that pendulum swing of, uh, of work and rest. But the other one is this. I think, man, far too often there is a willingness to work hard at our job while being completely idle with the inner work of your heart. We're really, really, really good at producing out there, but man, in here, no work's done. And guess what? What's in here usually comes out here. And so you work really hard. And I've experienced this. You work really hard and then you come home and man, because no work's been done around here on a consistent and, and, and connected basis to the Spirit of God in the context of community, man, what comes out is, man, I'm short with my wife, I'm short with my kids, I'm short with other people, I'm quickly frustrated. There's a willingness to work hard at our job while being completely idle and lazy on the inner working of our hearts. You see, I believe that far too many people in the church give far too much value to what they do at their job rather than who they are in Christ because far too many people mask their inner brokenness by way of outward productivity. You see, we hold a high value in our culture, even our church culture, on hard work, the physical act, while often having a very low view and value of the need to work on the spiritual and emotional sides of ourselves. Think about this. How many in the church today know more about the ins and outs of their job, their degree, and their workplace than they do about the scriptures? And they're like, also like, I think he's like, they're excited to tell people about it. It's always, I mean, it's business, 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 or work, work, work. You say, well, what's Jesus doing? Well, man, my work. No, no, but what's Jesus doing in your life? But, yeah, well, I just like, if I can just get through this season, this season's hard at work. No, but what is Jesus doing in your life? How many in the church today love, date, and serve the paramour or mistress of work rather than their own spouse and family? They know more about their job than they do about their spouse or their kids. But, but the, when I work, I can provide for them. Great. But what if you look like just Jesus says you can gain the world and lose your soul. You can gain, man, a, a higher pay raise. And, man, your family knows nothing about you. How many in the church today are quick to fill the calendar with work events but not church events? And, again, I'm not, I don't want to guilt, okay? Like that's not, why, well, that's not what I, I, I'm trying to say here. But, man, I, I believe you do make time for what you plan for. And I know that, man, those around you are watching whether you're single, married, have kids, don't have kids, uh, man, empty nesters, whatever it is, people are watching because you make time for what you plan for and you work at what you value. And I know some of you have heard like the John Piper story, right, where the you know retired couple, like they retired and their whole goal was they, we don't have a, you know, we don't have to work anymore, so we're going to go to beaches and just collect seashells. 
And he says, man, for the next 20 years of your life, you're going to collect seashells. And man, when you, you meet Jesus, you're going to say, we didn't do anything for the kingdom, but look at these seashells, Jesus. That's not what we're called to. That's like, I think retirement is actually, it's just like you're just, it's a transition to a new job. Like I can full time, like work unto the Lord in all these other areas, right? How many of us serve the values and purpose of our company more than we do the values and purpose of our calling in the body of Christ? I think those are questions we've got to answer at times. You see, the result of answering them poorly is this, procrastination. Well, I'll start reading the Bible on Monday. Good, that's tomorrow, but start today. Don't wait. At least the idleness in the church, which I believe in that idleness is, again, that word for being a busybody and not minding our business. That's why gossip is so rampant in the church. We worry about other sins rather than our own. We worry about uh, what I'm receiving from the church, which again, that picture is the spiritual burdening. So we have the physical burdening of the text. There is a spiritual burdening within the church today where it's like, I'm just coming. What can you give me? I'm not going to pour out any of my life. I'm not going to toil and work alongside you, which again is why we call people here partners because it is a co-participation. Rather than being a part of the Spirit's work in you, which is, man, diving into God's Word, prayer, community, counseling, service to the church. So that you might display the gospel's work in and through your life. You see, we are far too willing to work ourselves to death for the purpose of gaining the world by losing our souls than we are to work on our whole selves so that we might see our work in its proper place and then worship God as we work for the sake of proclaiming His glory to others. I believe that the Scripture says there's a greater calling and there's greater freedom in and for our work. And so today, how do we respond to our work? I think here's here's just a few ways. First, I think we need to keep away from idleness. I mean, that's what the text says, right? We keep away from idleness, but also we need to set our work priorities straight. We need to change the way we view work by changing the focus on who we work for. And in doing so, we do not grow weary because we know we do it unto the Lord. But not only do we keep away from idleness, we need to combat idleness in life by getting involved in the... I believe that, man, if you get involved in the local church, that's one of the greatest ways that you can combat idleness in your life. And I don't mean because we're going to plug you into kids, okay? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, if you're, you're here, we want you to volunteer and serve in whatever capacity is. But I believe that, man, there's just something around, about being at the body, around the body of Christ and, man, being involved in a local community that sharpens you in a way that, that man, you, you don't want to become idle. Because other people are on fire for Jesus and that, what that does in us is, man, it, as we see in, uh, we saw in Acts 4 earlier, man, that stirs our hearts up. It's like, wait, I want that. That we would learn the value of, man, I need to not only work hard outwardly, but I need to work on what's going on in here. And you can't do that alone. You need your local church to do that. And then lastly, in all this, that we would turn to Jesus. That we would quit trying to work void of the Spirit. Guess what? Like, 
you can't do enough to prove yourself in your work because guess what? Jesus' work already proves everything that God needs to know about you. Now, he cares about all the other things, but the ultimate thing is already taken care of. So today, are you laboring in such a way that you might prove yourself that you're enough? And what you really need to do is you just need to submit your life and say, Jesus, man, I, I know that you're the only way that I can be enough. You can't give yourself life. You can't give yourself rest. You will literally work yourself to death. Or, man, you just lay it out and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. And he, what does he say? He says, man, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will I give you rest. I shared it a couple of weeks ago. That word for rest is, man, reinvigorate, rejuvenate, reignite, that then sends you out to actually work hard because you're freed up. And so that's what I want us to think on this morning. I'm going to have the team come back up. And as they come back up, I want you to take just a moment to just think about your life and maybe how you view rest, maybe how you view work, and maybe the pendulum's on one side or the other. I mean, my encouragement for you today would be, man, to turn to Jesus and to hold your work with an open hand and a desire to say, God, I want to work unto you for your glory so that others might know so that I might be an example in how I work and how I live, both outwardly and the work that I, man, do by your spirit inwardly. And as you think on that here, I'm going to give you just a moment, then I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to have those that are um, going to be handing out the elements for communion to come forward, and then I'm going to lead us in the sharing of communion. I mean, as we share in communion today, what we realize is what we're remembering is that, man, Jesus completed the work. But he didn't say, well, it's finished until I have to, but you're going to have to do some overtime, right? Hope you put enough hours in. No, he did it. It was finished and it's done. And so we remember that the work is done, but also that, man, that he's still working within us to transfer, transform us more into the image of Jesus. He's still using us. And so may we see, man, that our, our ultimate work is just that. No matter where we clock into or clock out of, or maybe we're not even there in that season anymore, we still have work to do. We've been commissioned for something greater than ourselves. So let me pray, and then those that are going to be passing elements out, and I'll lead us in our next steps. Jesus, thank you for this time. But I pray that as we think about the reality of work, that we would know that, man, that work is a good thing. That is something that, that as we hold it in its proper place, brings delight. It brings joy. So, God, I pray now as we, uh, man... Uh, even wrestle with just our our view of it or how we go about it, God, that that we would give it all to you. Lord, whether we find ourselves walking in idleness or overwork because we want to seek to prove and produce, God, that we would repent of those things and turn to you, knowing that there is grace to be received because, man, the work has been finished. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be a people who work well for you. 
That we would live as examples to the world around us. That, that we would keep away from idleness. But God, also in the midst of our work, that we would make sure that, God, that you're always wanting to do a deeper work in our hearts. So, God, may we humble ourselves enough to allow you to do that. In Jesus' name.